0: Hi, I'm Alice from the Postdoctoral Development Center at Queen's University, Belfast, and I'm delighted to welcome you to our career podcast, The Theory of the Postdoc Evolution. This is episode 23, recorded in May 2022. It features an interview of Dr. Elaine O'Reilly, Associate Professor of Chemical Biology at University College Dublin, by Professor Gerd Wagner, an academic in our School of Pharmacy. Elaine shares her take on building an academic career in Ireland, mobility in family, and more.
1: Enjoy! I will be talking to Elaine O'Reilly from University College, Dublin, so we will have an, an academic perspective. Uh, disclaimer, both guests are speaking in their personal capacity uh, and not on behalf of their institution or their employer. Elaine, if you want to briefly introduce yourself.
0: Yes, I'm um, very happy to be here and thanks for the invitation to, um, to come and give a talk. Um, so I started my, my degree in University College Dublin where I'm based at the moment um, and after my degree I fell in love with research during my degree um, and decided to stay on here and, and do my PhD uh, with Francesca Paradisi, then went for a postdoc in Manchester. Uh, which I'll I'll tell you a little bit about more in in a moment Um, took up my first academic position in Manchester Metropolitan University in uh, 2014 and stayed there for a very short period before moving to Nottingham um, as an assistant professor um, and then promoted a little while after to associate professor before moving back to UCD to my current position of associate professor in chemical biology.
1: Because my, my first question, what, what I'm most interested in, well, I'm interested in many things, but d- tell us, d- did you always have this plan to stay in academia?
0: I don't think I ever had a plan. I still don't think I ever have plans. No, absolutely not. Um, I, I think my first, I think as a student, maybe I'm alone here. I didn't know what academics did. And so it's very hard to to want to be an academic when you really don't know what's involved in that. And it was only when I started my PhD that I really realized what goes on and and that that academics don't just come and teach and lecture. So I think that's the, the first glimpse into thinking, okay, you kind of get to do research and you get to do a bit of teaching. And I think at that point, I started to feel... You know, this is something that I would quite like to do. So it was a, a little bit later, maybe, although I've, I've seen students really on the ball who've come to me in their first year of their undergraduate degree and tell me that they want to be an academic. So I'm, of course, incredibly impressed with that.
1: Okay, I'm, I'm relieved to hear that, that it's not necessary to have a long term plan in, in academia, because actually, if I can just speak for myself, I don't think I had, a, a certainly not from the first year of my undergraduate degree, but it's quite interesting. So do you think you can pinpoint the moment when you thought, well, actually, maybe this is a, a career I would like to pursue? Because I mean, looking at your CV, it does look like the um, the model academic CV, right? You did sort of your first degree, you did a PhD, you did a postdoc, and then you moved on to an academic position.
0: Yeah, I think it might look like that, but it, it certainly wasn't. Um, and so I, I think that whilst I, I started to think during my my PhD that I might be interested in an academic career, I think what happened after that in terms of my career trajectory was, was really based on just going with the flow, if I can put it in any other way. So after my PhD in UCD, I actually came to a point where the Irish economy had completely collapsed. So I was trying to apply for jobs in in any area. So I was looking for positions in all aspects of industry. um, And I was getting rejected for things that I believed I was completely overqualified for. And in a moment of panic, I didn't really want to leave Dublin. In a moment of panic, I emailed Professor Nick Turner at the University of Manchester, said that I would like to do a postdoc, which wasn't necessarily the case, but I didn't know what else to do. Um, And of course, I I got the position there. And so off I went to Manchester to to do a postdoc in in Nick's lab. And really, it was everything was unplanned. Even after that, things just happened. I I think once I got to Nick's lab in Manchester, um, I, I decided I definitely did want an academic career. And I guess at that stage, it became a little more planned.
1: I I really appreciate the the honesty here because I think most academics or certainly when you look at CVs it, it looks like oh wow okay they they knew from the age of eleven where they wanted to do their postdoc and and, and uh, then you can easily become a bit self conscious about that but I think an important takeaway certainly for me here is that coincidence and and chance often actually play a bigger role than we like to admit in uh, with these uh, things. So you you said you didn't necessarily want to leave Dublin, but then this opportunity in Manchester came up and then obviously later on you also moved to Nottingham. So with hindsight, even if it was not part of a grand plan, how important were sort of these changes of scenery and moving between different labs uh, in sort of shaping your career?
0: Yeah, I think really important. And that's one thing maybe about academia that turns off some people is that this type of moving around, is very important and so one thing I suppose that I would say has been really important is that I did my PhD in a lab that was I guess quite interdisciplinary There was some of my my PhD colleagues working on sort of biocatalysis and and proteins but I was really doing synthetic chemistry so when I moved to Nick Turner's lab in Manchester who's a real leader in the field of enzyme development and, and biocatalysis I had mostly some chemistry experience, but that little bit of a flavour of biocatalysis, and so at least I could speak the language, and um, and I think that was important. That I brought skills to Nick's group, which weren't just enzymes and, and enzyme development, but I had I was able to make molecules and characterise them, and I learned a lot in Nick's lab. So it was as a postdoc. I think you often feel you have to be the master of everything. One thing Nick's group was very good for was accepting that you know they were still happy to train postdocs. And that was a great experience. So I sort of moved fields a little
1: bit. This is an interesting point uh, that, uh, of course, from a perspective of um, recruiting for a post position, I suppose, as a PI, you, you, you look for the person who has the perfect fit. But as the applicant, you might actually want almost the opposite. You want to learn something new. And so I think to be able to strike the right balance here and to move into a lab and onto a project where you really learn new and additional techniques but where also you bring something to the table. I think um, that that's the idea scenario. I don't know how, how often it, it happens, but I think clearly your experience is a very good example. And and then you moved on, you had a, a, your first academic position in Manchester, but then you also moved on, on to Nottingham. Do you want to tell us a bit about that?
0: yeah, sure. So whilst at and um, um Manchester doing my postdoc, I did take a few opportunities that I think were important. Like I took an opportunity to do some uh, unpaid voluntary teaching at the University of Salford and um, as well as at Manchester. And that just gives you that little edge when you do decide to apply for academic positions. And um, I took a a short academic position at Manchester Metropolitan University. It was a permanent post. and um, it was a teaching focused university, a very nice place to work, and I have made some long-standing. Uh, relationships with colleagues at Manchester Metropolitan University but I got a an opportunity very quickly after I started that position uh, to move to the University of Nottingham and uh, it was an opportunity that I I couldn't really turn down so in 2015 just just under a year after I had uh, started my position in Manchester Met I moved to the University of Nottingham Um, and I established a, a group there quite quickly quite a large group there quickly enough.
1: So when you took on these sort of teaching roles, was that already with an eye firmly on, a, on an academic career at that point?
0: Yes, definitely. So once I was in um, in Manchester, uh, I really loved the idea of an academic position. And I thought maybe naively, oh, I can do this. This is this is easy. Um, and so I, I suppose I would build, build my CV accordingly so that, you know, when I do apply, when I did apply for a position, I could say that I ticked a few boxes, teaching being one of them, of course, research. And I would always advise my own group, my PhD students, my postdocs to do the same, to to look and see what their next step is going to be and how can you shape your CV so that you fit well with with that next step.
1: I think that that's a really important point. Uh, I mean, for an academic career, I, I guess it's quite specific, perhaps about building up your teaching Uh, skills, but you can also look at it more broadly that during your postdoc already to look at sort of skills beyond the, the, your immediate project Mm -hmm. is quite likely going to become very important very soon when you take the, the next step. Um, so looking at the, the position or, or, or the, the Nottingham career stage, maybe let's talk a little bit about funding, but not entirely unimportant in, in academic research. Um, so the, the position in Nottingham was a university funded position or,
0: It was a permanent academic position. Yes, a lectureship or assistant professor um, position in Nottingham. So I've never I've never actually applied to my recollection for a fellowship. Um,
1: I was going that was going to be my next question.
0: (laughs) Yes, I I don't think I did, Um, although I've applied for so many things. I'm not sure if I've just selected some of them out of my mind, but. My CV wasn't, you know, wasn't overly impressive in the sense that, okay, I had a nice publication record, but I'm not sure had I applied for one of these prestigious UK fellowships that I would have really been competitive enough for one. But I think I ticked a lot of boxes for for Nottingham and they were looking for somebody in chemical biologists, which I was. And I, I guess I ticked a lot of other boxes as well. And I got that. But in terms of fellowships, I've never had that experience And yeah, they're great to get because you, you presumably get a lighter teaching load and more time to kickstart your research
1: career. I think they're probably two slightly different, different routes. And, and I have to say, for, for different reasons, uh, when I applied for my my first academic position, I very much took the same approach as, as you. But in my case it was also a bit out of a, a lack of awareness of like what the fellowship route what the opportunities are and maybe what the expectations are. And so it wasn't really on on my radar. But um I, I suppose with hindsight if someone is very clearly driven by the research component of an academic career. I think uh, the advice clearly is that this is something they want to consider. Whereas I think uh, maybe a traditional academic role, uh, like a lectureship, of course, will always have a teaching component and will have other components as well. And so if someone has this idea of academia, maybe a more multifaceted uh, idea, then, um, of course, this is probably the the route they want to pursue. Um, But then you went back to Dublin.
0: Yes. So whilst I was at the University of Nottingham, I um, had my my first child and um, Harry was born in 2016. And that was quite a daunting thing because I was um, I'm from Dublin. My family, any family that I had left were here in Dublin. And I was quite isolated in Nottingham. I, I would say that Nottingham was a, was my dream job. Really, I really loved it there. Um, and one child was was OK and was manageable. Um, But my last day in Nottingham um, or the the end of my my time in Nottingham came um, because of my daughter, um, Molly, who was born in 2018. And I think when I had my second child, I realized that being quite isolated away from a support network with children and trying to manage a career was just too much for me. And I felt that if I didn't do something that I would give up and I would probably have packed in my my academic career and I did think about that um, and I was advised strongly not to do that by some um, very nice colleagues and instead of that and I was very lucky at the same time as I was considering this a post opened in Dublin um, for the position that I'm in now and I realized that that would maybe be my route to stay and, and keep going with a career and still manage my kids so I reluctantly left Nottingham and I moved back to to Dublin and started my position here in 2019. And I, I mean, I'm very happy here. I knew I, I loved UCD and it's a great place to work. So it wasn't a difficult decision in that sense.
1: So that's quite interesting. So there, there were very important personal factors here, obviously at play. And what do you say about the lack of a support network I can again relate to because uh, so I'm originally from, from Germany and, and, and my wife's originally from France. And so we have no sort of wider family here where we are either. And so I can absolutely relate to the, the scenarios you describe. Um, maybe this is a good time. Do you want to tell us a bit more in general about work life balance in academia? Does it exist?
0: Um, you know, I think it depends on the day you ask me that. Uh, it's a very busy time at the moment, so I'll probably say no at the moment. I sometimes get to sleep. Um, but I, I actually think that having children has given me a better sense of a work-life balance. Um, I think because you you don't have time to work as much, and i I think also you I have a I have a different perspective on life and what's important. And before I had children, like science is my my chemistry is my passion. I love it. and before I had children, I had all the time in the world to devote to that. It was like a hobby as and you'll hear lots of academics say that rightly or wrongly. and um, but once I had my children, um my priorities of course changed completely. And I just didn't have the time to devote. And I think in a sense, that's a good thing. It forces you to try and box off your time. I don't do it very well sometimes. Box off your time. This is my work and this is the time of my children. Um, And I I do that. And academia is is great because certainly where I am here in UCD and I know the other institutions I've been in, they really support flexible uh, working. So I can leave work uh, here early. I usually leave before four o'clock, about four o'clock. I go home, I spend time with my children. And then if I have the time and energy in the evening, I sit back down and do a little bit of work. And if I don't have to, I don't. And I think I don't know if I would get that level of support in industry. um, But I think that's a great thing to be able to do to work your own hours
1: this is very interesting because it that argument also just reminded me of the transition out of academia in the industry and one difference being maybe that as a postdoc you have this amazing flexibility and control over your time and and then that changes and uh, i think it obviously also does change to a good degree in 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 academia as we progress there i would say that it's fair to say that there is less flexibility but there is Possibly still more control, you have more control over your time, you have more flexibility than perhaps you you do have in industry. Um, It also, listening to you, it does come across as a bit of a double edged thing because obviously then, you know, work can bleed into, I don't know, evening time, night time. And it was very interesting to hear you say that like having the the, the children then forced you to maybe give sort of more structure um, to how you organize your, your time in that sense. I think that's very interesting. Coming back to Dublin, I was the institution where you did your first degree, I think. How did that feel? Did you come back to the same place? Did you come back to a different place? Was the place different? Were you different? How did that dynamic play out?
0: Yeah, a lot of people ask me that because I did my degree and then my PhD here as well. So, you know, my colleagues now were my professors. And you know, so it was an unusual scenario. And actually, for the first few months of being here as, as a member of staff, I really struggled not to refer to my colleagues as professor and doctor. Um, and I still make that, um, I still do that. M- muscle memory comes back in. Um, but no, it was a very um, welcoming place to come back to. And um, I didn't really find that a strange situation actually I settled in very quickly, but maybe not everybody would would do. But um, no, I didn't find that a particularly off-putting thing to do. And I think it's in Ireland as well. I think that's quite common. We would have a lot of, Irish people who've done their degree, maybe not here, but certainly in Ireland who come back and people like to come back to Ireland. Irish people always want to come home eventually, I think. So we would have a lot of that. And we, you know, we're very international here as well. But we have had other people who've done their degree here or a PhD and come back. So I think it's something that the school is quite used to as well.
1: I see that a lot in Belfast as well. Certainly in my school, it's, I think, not, not uncommon to say the least.
0: We get used to the rain and the cold in Ireland, and we can't stay away from it. The pullback to the terrible weather seems to be very strong.
1: Yeah, I couldn't possibly speculate about the motivations, but I, I do make the observation. Um, but then, to maybe look at this sort of more generally, then would you say, from your experience, this is maybe a uh, a question of of or a criteria of lesser importance that you know whether you pursue the academic career in a place you've already been to or whether you go to somewhere completely different is maybe of lesser importance and and either way it can play out fine is that what you would
0: yeah i think I I think that you have to as an academic, and I think this is the difficulty. um, And and I I did an EDI talk recently and got asked about this, um, about being a woman and I'm a single mother now as as well. So being a female academic and and how difficult that can be. Now, I didn't necessarily have these particular challenges, but I can imagine that if I had children and was trying to secure an academic position, the idea of moving countries or institutions would be very daunting and trying to reach your family and take them around with you. Um, And so that movement, as much as it's great and it's a nice opportunity to move around, um, it could get to a point in life when actually moving isn't isn't what you would like to do. So I think that coming back and settling in the same university is fine. But I've been away. Uh, Had I not have, I would never have gotten this academic position. I think you would would need to show some level of mobility. If you're in the UK, you can be mobile in the UK because it's a big country. But when you're in Ireland, there's not that many places you can go, um, if you know if you want to stay here. So for people from a small Ireland like Ireland or Ireland, um, it, it can be challenging. I think you have to leave to to be sure in science, anyway, in chemistry, of securing a position here.
1: Well, that's a a very interesting uh, take on this uh, mobility aspect. There, there is a question about the um, the teaching. Um, in terms of securing uh, or, or making your teaching experience account, if you apply, say, in the UK, would would you say it has to be specific or would you say as long as, you know, the, the, an applicant has teaching experience, maybe in their home country or maybe in, in, in the US or whatever, they, this will always be looked at favorably or, or how would you see that?
0: Yeah, in my opinion, absolutely. Uh, That teaching experience is what's important, not necessarily where you have gotten that. Of course, if teaching, uh, you know, Ireland and the UK align very well in a lot of respects with the way they deliver their material and the, the type of courses. And so, of course, if you've teaching experience in the UK, well, then it's very easy to translate that to Ireland. But I think, when you know, I'd be on a lot of hiring committees and we've recently advertised a lot of posts even here in UCD. And anybody who has, you know, at a postdoc level, having teaching experience is quite rare because it's it's not often that postdocs get the opportunity to teach um, and it's something we're even talking about here in, in our school that we need to give our postdocs that opportunity. We need to develop their CVs to make them competitive. And to do that, we need to give them teaching opportunities. And um, But now to answer that question, I think any level of teaching experience is great. And so if you can, you know, it's not always who has the time to volunteer to do teaching, but it's what I did a few years back. I just volunteered my time to teach a course and it give gave me that something extra on my CV that I could talk about in a, an academic interview. And I think it's a, a very valuable thing to do.
1: So you mentioned that you've been, or are currently on a number of hiring committees. What are the, I, I guess everyone knows the answer to that or thinks they know the answer to that, but what, what are the, the most important things you're looking for if, if you're recruiting for a, a faculty position?
0: So I think that an all round individual is really important. We've a very, it depends on the school as well. So we have a very small school here in UCD, you know, 22 or three members of academic staff. Whereas when I was in Nottingham, we had 60 something members of academic staff. So in the likes of Nottingham, where you have a larger school, you have an opportunity to say okay this is a research superstar we don't need them to be doing too much teaching so we'll take them or vice versa you can take a teaching fellow who's maybe not going to focus so much on research we can't do that so we need people who are going to be able to teach to do research and also to contribute towards other committees, EDI committees and other things like that. So when we're recruiting, we really are looking for people who are able to tick a number of boxes. And being a good colleague is something which isn't talked about so often, but it's so important. We don't want a research superstar here who is not willing to help out with other activities in the school because we we just can't absorb that person in a small school. So I think being a really good all-rounder is is very important in, in UCD anyway.
1: And would you say that there are also opportunities in academia now if someone is actually more interested in the the teaching side of academia? Do you have sort of a teaching and scholarship track, or teaching and education, or something?
0: Um, we don't here in in chemistry, and I think I'm right in saying in UCD as a whole there are no sort of teaching fellow routes yet. It's something we're talking a lot about. There are colleagues who focus on teaching research, so. You could, your area of research could be in, in education and that's absolutely fine so there's certainly opportunities in there probably not as many because again as a small school we don't have the space for that much you know of those positions but in, in the UK in the universities in the UK there's lots of teaching fellows it's very very common and they're excellent for supporting teaching in the school they're usually much better at teaching than many of the other academic staff and um, but but here we don't have that yet and it's something we're really discussing.
1: Yeah, I think it depends. Uh, I think there is probably a general trend, maybe a slow trend towards that and give more recognition sort of to teaching and and also research into education. But I think at the moment, my impression is it will vary from institution to institution. In my school, we have a good number of colleagues who are sort of on an education track, but I think it, it will vary. Yeah. Um, you, you already talked uh, about, obviously, how your personal circumstances sort of influence also your career decisions and, and um, how sort of flexibility or, and structure at different times sort of are, are important. Would you say that over the last, um, I don't know, five, six years, not necessarily just because of the pandemic, but also taking a slightly longer view, that things in academia in that regard have changed or are changing, that there is greater recognition that people have a life outside of the lab and and that this needs to be uh, supported or accommodated?
0: Yes, I mean, 100%. I, I was thinking about this earlier. When I was a Ph.D. student or yeah, when I was a Ph.D. student here, I don't ever remember any mention of equality, diversity and inclusion or committees or EDI talks or any of those discussions. Um, And now it is something that's so important. As an example, if you apply for a position in chemistry, one of the many we've had advertised recently, and don't mention EDI anywhere on your application we are really struggling to consider you for interview at all. And because it's so important for us, work-life balance, you know, all aspects of the EDI are are so relevant. So I think there's a lot more discussion around this. And, you know, I I talk to colleagues all the time about how we can improve our our work-life balance. So definitely, and, and COVID, and you know, it's something that's been terrible for everybody, or not everybody perhaps. I know that certainly for us, it's influenced a lot, But some of it for the good. We've we've started to consider what our purpose is in here as educators and realize that if, in fact, we can deliver all of our teaching online and via recording, what is our function? Do we do the students need us? And so I think those sorts of um, COVID has been a real eye opener. We've started to think that maybe we don't need to be lecturing in this traditional lecturing style anymore. Maybe we need to make those recordings available to students and think about how we can actually turn our students into problem solvers. And I think the uh, past three, two or three years is going to, you know, it, it shape our curriculum review very seriously in the next 12 months or so. And we're gonna to start to think about yeah, how we can we can better deliver teaching and, and education.
1: No, I, I agree. That's pretty much my experience at, at Queen's as well. Um, we probably need to wrap up in a moment. I'm going to ask one final question. If if someone is considering a career in academia uh, after their postdoc, what is the most important thing they should consider? What should be their number one criteria for their decision making?
0: Oh, it's a tough question to finish on. Um, I mean, I think you've got to accept as a a postdoc so you know you're very research active as a postdoc you you have to accept that if you take an academic position at least for most people it really does turn into a desk a desk job okay it's surrounded by science and that's what we do I you know my favorite part of my job is talking to my research group and writing papers and all that but essentially it's a desk job at the end of the day you're, you're either teaching you're sitting at your desk trying to write something so I think it's making sure that you're comfortable with that And because it's possible, now I've never been in industry, possible that a a career in industry offers you more lab based activities. Here, I just certainly I don't get the time to be in the lab. And so it's just something that people should consider and, and make sure that they're they're comfortable with. That at the end of the day, we get to do very little hands on lab work.
1: This is this is actually very interesting because in a way it reflects or corresponds to what Daphne also said about moving from the lab to, to the desk. And you were saying, well, the same thing happens if you pursue an academic career as well. And the other interesting contrast is that you say, and that's, of course, also absolutely correct, that industry is not sort of one uniform type of job. And uh, uh, it may well be that, depending on the role you move into in industry, you may actually continue with more hands-on lab experience than you would uh, if you move into an academic career as a PI. I just had exactly this, a, a postdoc who left a few weeks ago. So um, she's continuing now in a company with a lab-based research scientist job. And um, so the the dividing line here, I think, is not necessarily, like between lab and desk, is not necessarily between industry and academia. It depends on the the nature of the role. I think that's very important to appreciate. Um, There was a question about fellowships. How crucial are the prestigious fellowships while evaluating a postdoc as a panel member in the committee? Yeah, if you have an applicant for a, a faculty position and they already hold a fellowship,
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, these are important. Some of the the Marie Curie's and the Fulbright's, they're very prestigious. It shows that if these are individual applications that you've written yourself, it shows that you can write an application. That's important because a big part of our job is to get grant income. To do that, you need to be able to write a convincing application. Um, but it's not the you know it's not the only thing. if you're applying for a junior like a lecturing or assistant professor position, there's only so much you can have done. So we're not expecting people to have done everything at that stage. you're starting out in your academic career as such. And um, so it's always great to to show that you've even written them if they haven't been successful. That's not necessarily a negative thing. Talk about that at interview know mention that you're writing them at least it shows that you you have a plan and your your int- your intentions are, are
1: good and um, so i think that's important okay thank you very much and we probably need to wrap up here um thank you uh, again uh, elaine and thanks to alice for organizing great
0: thank you thanks for listening if you want to hear about the experience of other academics or former postdocs who transition to other types of careers, check out more episodes on our webpage at go.qub.ac.uk slash podcast pdc. Bye.